You might be asking the question, why Hosea? Hosea is a book in the Old Testament. Now, the Bible's broken up into two parts, and most of it is the Old Testament. It's the thicker part of the Bible. And so we're going to be looking at a prophet. His name is Hosea. And if you go to look for Hosea, he's going to be after the big boys. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. He's first after them. And if you make it to Joel, you've gone too far. This prophet who ministered to Israel nearly 3,000 years ago. Why would we care to crack open the pages of the scriptures and let him speak to us today? Does he have anything worthwhile to tell us today in 21st century, technologically rich United States of America? Two things. First, people are the same as they ever were, and so is God. That's why this word has application. The voice that Hosea used in ancient Israel reverberates still today. So what will we see, and what do I hope to accomplish through this book of Hosea? We're going to see a spectacle of God's peculiar love. That's what we see on every page of Hosea. We see a spectacle of God's peculiar love. Now, peculiar I, by peculiar, I don't mean weird or bizarre or odd. I mean jarringly distinct, completely different than anything you expect. Jarringly distinct is this peculiar love of God. And we're going to see this put before us on a regular basis. And so what I want the book of Hosea to do is to be a spectacle of God's love so that we are jarred out of our confusion of what we think God's love is. Because I can say that God's love is not what you think it is. It's not what I think it is. It's not what we collectively think God's love is. Because we think we know about love. We have expectations about what God's love should look like to us. What it is, what it isn't, how it feels, what it looks like. And armed with that understanding of love, love, we go to God and we have this whole list of expectations and say, you must love me like this, or you must love me like that. And so we tell him, here are the ground rules. But in Hosea, we let God define his terms to us. David Wells describes what so much, so many of us think when it comes to love. Those who begin with our own expectations about God's love, as so many do today, assume that God's love is whispered first in their inner senses, that it's part of their nature, that it is part of creation. And they assume that it becomes real when they experience its therapeutic benefits or when they experience what their expectation says God's love should be. As such, it is within easy reach. All that is needed is that we listen. God waits on us to admit him so that he could make his love real. This is how so many people think. Listen, Hosea is going to show us that his love is real, much more real than we could ever imagine whether we admit him or accept it or not. See, I hope that what we will see here is that God's love, I want us to see God's love for what it is. It's alarming. It's disquieting. It's unsettling. It's, in some measure, disturbing and troubling. This is who God's, this is who God, this is what God's love is. 
and we're going to make a spectacle of this love because we're going to look to faithfully exposit what Hosea says to the people in his day because it has application for our day. And if you have a main idea that you want to cover, if you want to think about for us this morning, it's this. The love of God is unsafe, but it's the only place for us. The love of God, it's unsafe, but it's the only place for us. And with that, we turn to the story of Hosea and his wife who was a whore. Now, if that offends you, I hope it does a little bit. I hope it does a little bit. This book is going to be offensive, and we're not going to, I'm not going to use words like harlot that none of us use. The Bible's going to say whore, so we're going to say whore. And the point is that we pay attention and listen. We're going to see here this morning that the love of God, though it be unsafe, it's the only place for us. I'm going to read beginning in Hosea chapter 1, verse 1, and go all the way down to Hosea chapter 2, verse 1. If you have your Bible, go ahead and follow along with me as I read. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, the son of Beeri, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. And in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, the king of Israel. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take to yourself a wife of whoredom, and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So he went and took Gomer the daughter of Diblam, and she conceived and bore him a son. And the Lord said to him, Call his name Jezreel, for in just a little while I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel. And I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. And on that day I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. She conceived again and bore a daughter, And the Lord said to him, Call her name, No Mercy, for I will no more have mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all. But I will have mercy on the house of Judah, and I will save them by the Lord their God. I will not save them by bow or by sword or by war or by horses or by horsemen. When she had weaned no mercy, she conceived and bore a son. The Lord said, call his name, not my people, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. Yet, the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, it shall be said to them, children of the living God. And the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together and they shall appoint for themselves one head. And they shall go up from the land for the great, great shall be the day of Jezreel. Say to your brothers, you are my people and to your sisters, you have received mercy. Let's pray. Lord, as we read your word, we recognize we need your help. We're grateful that you would reveal yourself in written word. And Lord, it's one thing to understand. It's another thing to hear. And it's still another thing to respond. 
I pray for those gifts this morning by your Spirit. And I pray that we would be, as a church, a people who see the spectacle of your peculiar love through this book. Despite my many, numerable limitations and vulnerabilities, help me to faithfully preach, Lord. And help us all to hear. In your name we pray. Amen. Typically, if you read the Old Testament prophets, and there's a good number, and I do recommend that you read them, they're commissioned by God to say words to either Israel or Judah. So if you read Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Nahum, Habakkuk, Obadiah, pick your guy. They will primarily, though not exclusively, but primarily speak to people the words of God, and the message will be, come back. That's what prophets do in the Old Testament. They call to the nation of Israel, come back. They're not predicting the future as much as they're saying, in, in God's voice, I love you, please come back. Now, Hosea would have a different kind of prophetic commission. His call would not be primarily by speaking words to the people, but his message would be communicated through his family. And that communication begins in verse 2. Look at verse 2. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take a wife of whoredom, have children of whoredom, for the land, and by land here it's not the soil or the dirt, but the people, commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. Now, for those of us scoring at home, we see whoredom three times in one verse. <clears throat> in short, Hosea's ministry is to be, to have a marriage like God had with Israel. Hosea would marry Gomer, a prostitute, just as God had married Israel, who was playing the whore. Now, the key to understanding what's happening in our section this morning is looking at the the, the kids' names, these three kids. Our first point is one dysfunctional family. One dysfunctional family. First, we have a boy. His name is Jezreel. We see that in verse 4. Call his name Jezreel. Why? For in a little while I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. Now, what we don't recognize is that the valley of Jezreel was kind of a byword or known for, is a byword for blood. It was known for a place where many events happened throughout the nation of Israel's history where there were bloodbaths and there were massacres. And so when people would hear the word Jezreel, they think bloodshed. And so to name your son Jezreel, essentially what you're doing is you're naming your son bloodshed. It would be like we named, us naming one of our children World Trade Center. What does that do? It conjures up memories of September 11th, 2001. Immediately for every American, everybody who was alive at that point, and even people who weren't. And so Hosea is saying, Jezreel, bloodshed. And people might say, Hosea, why would you use such a horrible name for your son? Jezreel, don't you know all that's packaged in that name? Don't you know that it stands for bloodshed? Hosea might answer, listen, just, has blood, just the way that blood has been shed in Jezreel in times past, 
God is saying, Israel, you must repent or your blood will be spilled in Jezreel. And that was the message to Israel through the firstborn son. And then Jezreel has a little sister. And her name is No Mercy. And, the Lord, and, and she, being Gomer, conceived again and bore a daughter. And the Lord said to, her, to him, call her name No Mercy. For I will, have no more, I will no more have mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all. The little girl was named No Mercy or No Compassion. We might think of it as unloved. Hosea, name your girl unloved. Because what I want you to to communicate through your little girl, the Lord seems to be saying, is I want them to see, I want the the nation of Israel to recognize I will show them mercy no more. I have stayed my hand long enough. I have shown you mercy too long, and I will show you mercy no more. And it seems like a direct repudiation of of Exodus chapter 34, verse 6, when the Lord passed before Moses saying, The Lord, the Lord. A God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And the Lord sang through this little little girl, I am a God of mercy to you, Israel, no more. So if you're keeping score, the boy's name is bloodshed. The girl's name is unloved. And then lastly, they have another bouncing baby boy. And this boy is to bear maybe the worst name of all. This boy is to be called Not My People. And the Lord said, Call his name Not My People, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. So essentially, Hosea gives his son the name Not My Son. Do you remember when God spoke to Moses through the burning bush? And Moses says to God, Who shall I say to the people of Israel that sent me? And he said, tell them I am sent you. Here, God literally says, tell the people I am not, I am not, I am to them anymore. And it's a complete reversal of Exodus 19, verse 5, where we read, Now therefore, if you indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for the earth, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. The people had become, they did not follow the Lord, and they wandered away. And what did they do? They played the whore. What a strange family. Gomer is a whore. And Hosea names his kids, essentially, bloodshed, unloved, and abandoned. Now, this is jarring to our modern sensibilities, isn't it? See, what we're tempted to do is think, poor kids, how did they go through life with those names? Poor babies. And that's exactly how God wants us to respond but it's exactly the wrong way to respond. Instead of looking at the children, we need to look at the Lord. We need to look at God and not ask, how could Hosea name his children this, but how could God 
be so patient with such a whoring people for so long. You see, the dysfunctional family is not Hosea's, but it's Israel. God's treasured possession, his wife, the one he set his affection on, has played the whore. See, the question should be, how could God be this patient? You see, centuries before, God had miraculously and completely, on his own, delivered them from the heavy hand of slavery in Egypt. He had given them a land that would be theirs. He promised to bless them and keep them and love them forever. Yet Israel wandered away and played the whore. Now, Israel's whoredom was not a complete and wholesale rejection of God. They wanted to keep their options open. They would be good to go worship at the temple. They'd pray two or three times a day. They'd celebrate the high holy days. They would give money. They would keep the Sabbath. They would do the sacrifices. They did all the things. They probably memorized scripture, sung the Psalms, and talked about God, but their hearts were not given to God. So they would offer sacrifices to the fertility God, to the Baals, so that they might have a bumper crop. They would offer sacrifices and service to the false gods so that the cattle herds might grow large. Their kings made alliances with foreign kings to offer tri- that offered tributes to their gods because they did not trust the Lord. Israel had not a heart fully committed to God. They had affection for God. But they did not love God in the way God demanded she love him. She shared her affection with false gods. As a nation, she would not run to her husband for protection and help, but she ran other places, thereby playing the whore. Think about it this way. When it comes to a married couple, mostly faithful is unfaithful. Partially faithful is unfaithful. And Israel sold herself like a prostitute. This was an outrageous betrayal. And so, through the names of the children, God tells the people of Israel, if they do not repent, you will meet a bloody end in the valley of Jezreel. And it happened. He says, because you have turned away from me, you are no longer ones who receive mercy. You will be known as people who receive no mercy. You who were once God's people would be known as not my people. Now, before we look down our nose at Israel and say, how could you? How could you turn your back on God? How can you look away from him? How could you play the whore? We need to look in the mirror and recognize, are there times that we, even as followers of Jesus, we don't run to Jesus for help or relief? We go to porn or drink or money or a relationship. And we play the whore. Yeah, maybe we read our Bibles and believe the right things about God and what He's done for us in Christ. But deep down, we value our 401k and what Zillow says about our home values and our savings account more than we do our Lord. 
We sing songs on Sunday and other times, and maybe tears roll down our face. But really, we're serving God as long as all of this works out for us. As long as we have a happy marriage, kids get good educations, I don't feel too bad about myself, and that I'm not alone. Friends, that's us all playing the whore in this account. We're not Hosea. We're Gomer. And we need someone to heal our unfaithfulness. In fact, we need someone to heal our faithfulness because it's not very good. Now at this point, things seem a little bleak. If that's how you feel, you're understanding it. You're getting it. You're getting the message of Hosea. Now we've been saying that God's love, or I said in the beginning, that God's love is unsafe, but yet it's, the, it's still the best place to be. How? Well, the story's not over. We go from one dysfunctional family to, to one sudden change. Bam! Right there in verse 10. As the clouds darken, and it seems as if they will blot out the sun forever, boom, right out of nowhere comes a proclamation in verse 10. As God presents his divorce papers to Israel, we see this in verse 10. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. Now that is surprising. He goes from saying, listen, you're going to die a bloody death if you don't turn from me in the valley of Jezreel. You who once received my mercy, no longer you are no mercy. And you who once were my beloved people, the apple of my eye, you are now not my people. And we go from that to this, yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea. Not on the seashore, the sand of the sea. That's a ton of dirt. Now where did that come from? That comes from the original promise made to God and Abraham, to the nation of Israel. And as Paul says in Romans 4, that promise applies to every Christian who has ever Put their faith in Christ. It only gets more surprising as we read. See, what we need to understand here, in just a second, we're going to see later in verse 10 and 11 that there's this looking forward to a reunification between Israel, which is the northern kingdom, and Judah, which is the southern kingdom, into one kingdom. And some people say, oh, that's when they come back from Babylon. Now, when they came back from Babylon, that was 60,000 people. I don't call that sea the, number, the same, you know, sand on the seashore. That's not sand in the sea. I don't think that. That's the population of Utica, New York. That's not very exciting. And so what we see here is that there's a picture that's drawing our attention to a future where there is a greater unification, not just of the land after Babylon, but all Christians for all times in all places in one place. That's the picture here. And that's what we see. In verse 10, let's keep reading. You are not my people. What are they going to become? Children of the living God. And the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together, and they shall appoint themselves one head. And they shall go up from the land, for great shall be the day of Jezreel. All of a sudden, Jezreel, which was once a byword or a, a nickname for bloodshed, becomes a celebration. 
And he says, say to your brothers, you are, not, you are my people and your sisters. You have received mercy. So all of a sudden, at this turn that we would have never anticipated, a people who were called not my people become children of the living God. And those that God says you will receive no mercy, he says, tell them you will receive mercy. And Jezreel changes from a, a, a valley that means bloodshed to salvation. Now, how can we understand this kind of grand reversal? We understand it when we see in verse 11 this appointment that this group makes. And the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together. Now, this happened after Babylon, but it also is pointing to forward to another time everybody will be gathered together and that's in revelation chapter 7 if you want to see that and they shall appoint for themselves one head here we go here we go this here in this one head we start to see how the love of god is unsafe but yet the only place for us we start to see we start to see this 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 spectacle of god's peculiar love in this one head because when we read, we read that this group goes up from the land. This is not more, this is not a migration. This is resurrection from the dead talk. Literally, it could be rendered, they shall go up from, they shall come up or be lifted up from the land. In other words, dust to dust. And so what we have here is a picture of the future resurrection of the whole church. And who would be the one head we would pick? Because we're going to be involved. We're in this picture. Who would be the one head that all people who have ever followed Christ for all time, who would we pick? Abraham? No. John the Baptist? He was great, but no. Moses? No. Hosea? No. Who? Jesus. He is our one head. Why? Because he showed us how the love of God is unsafe, but yet the only place for us. He is the center point of the, of the spectacle that is God's peculiar love. Let me show you. You see, when we think about God's peculiar love, we see on the one hand his love is jealous. This is why it's unsafe. It's unsafe. He's not content to share his affection with anyone else. He is a jealous lover. His love demands all that we are. It demands everything from us. His love is, make no mistake, demanding. He's not going to be okay with you splitting your affections anywhere else. He will brook no challengers. This is why his love is unsafe. His love has a serrated edge that cuts and hurts and cuts again. His love will not always make you feel warm and fuzzy. Sometimes his love will scare you out of, his, out of your wits because of what it demands. His love does not come to us and ask, does my jealous love fit with your sensibilities? Is it what you expect? His love comes to us and changes us outright, absolutely, and forever. His love is jealous, but his love is also long-suffering. How can it be both? His love is long-suffering. God's peculiar love has this inflexible quality about it. Not just that it's forever, but it's, that it's indestructible, unbreaking, and unrelenting. His love is stubborn. 
His love holds us and refuses to let us go. It's not how much we hold on to him. It's how hard he holds on to us. This is his love. His love is fixed. His love is constant. His love does not give up. How? How in the world can his love be both jealous and long-suffering? This, friends, is why it's peculiar. Or maybe to say it like we... We're studying Hosea. How can he offer this peculiar love to spiritual whores like us? How? Romans, if you don't believe that language, Romans 5, chapter 6 says, For while we are still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Or we might say, Christ died for spiritual prostitutes like you and me. So to understand the spectacle of God's peculiar love, let's look once more at the names of the children and their reversal. Jezreel, as we know, is a byword or a nickname for bloodshed. It was for Israel the quintessential place of slaughter. Now, why do we not know that Jezreel is the quintessential place of slaughter? And how could Jezreel turn to be a place of celebration? The reason that none of us have heard of Jezreel is because the primary bloodletting we're aware of is what happened on the cross to our Savior, Jesus Christ. God made a spectacle of his peculiar blood by demanding the blood of Jesus Christ outside the city. So now, now Jezreel can be a celebration and not a threat because Jesus died. We see no mercy. Here we're not thinking about Hosea's daughter. How can God grant mercy? How can God have both a jealous and long-suffering love? Because Jesus was named no mercy. The one who deserved compassion and love was rejected. The one who God loved more than any was rejected. God did not hear. He was deaf to his son's cries. Why? So that we might receive Mercy, so that it might not be said of us, you are no mercy. Now what we see here is that Jesus was declared no mercy. So we can be a people who have received mercy. God has made Jesus a spectacle of his peculiar love through Jezreel and no mercy. And not my people. See, the reason we can say that we are sons of the living God Sons and daughters of the living God is because Jesus was treated as if he was not the Son of God. Who became not my people? Who became not the Son of God in a way? Who was treated as a criminal? Who was treated like a whore for real whores? Jesus. So that those of us who come to him might not worry about bloodshed and death or whether we'll receive mercy or whether we will be invited to his house. But we can come knowing God, his love, may be a little bit unsafe, but it was lethal to Jesus. And it's the only place for us to be. 
right in the middle of his love. God has made his son a spectacle of his, the centerpiece of the spectacle of his peculiar love. It's popular in American evangelicalism to say something like, hey, let's stop talking about sin. Let's start talking about grace. I agree, we should talk about grace. Let's. But before we do, let's talk about how much grace costs. Because grace has blood on its hands. And the love of God is unsafe. Now we have no record that the people of Israel ever responded in Hosea. In fact, they didn't. They were destroyed. Later, Jeremiah tells us about it, the people of Judah were likewise destroyed. If they had turned, God would have responded to their repentance and their humility. How about us? If you're here and you're not following Jesus, You might hear me saying, the love of God, that's unsafe. I don't want to go there. But I can tell you what, it's a, whole lot more, it's a whole lot more safe than any dwelling you can construct. See, what we all try to do is build someplace in our lives or maybe somewhere that we feel is safe. And so we build these little temporary dwellings and we put ourselves in them and we surround ourselves with job and work and family and hobbies and all kinds of things and health and, and, and maybe political activity or whatever it is and we put ourselves in there and we say, I'm going to be safe. You're not safe. When you do that and those things rob your affection for God, you're playing the whore. It's safe and the only place you want to be to be in the middle of the love of God by trusting Jesus. And those of us who are Christians those of us that are Christians, may we consider who we are in the quiet places of our lives where nobody knows or sees. May we be unsettled by the demands of God but walk away from porn. May we be disturbed by the troubling, the, the troubling love of God but stay faithful to our husbands and wives. May we be troubled by the serrated edge that love has, but stay close to Jesus. We've all played the whore. All of us need to do business with the Lord. And our hope isn't walking out here to try to be better, but our hope is to recognize where we have played the whore and ask the Lord to forgive us we won't have to pay the price or the penalty. We won't have to go to the bloody valley of Jezreel because Jesus did. We won't have to worry about rejection or God saying, get away from me because he did that to his son. His son received no mercy. And we won't have to worry about him saying, you're so messed up, get out of my life. I don't want anything to do with you. He said that to Jesus so that we might be called children of of the living God. Friends, the love of God may be unsafe, but it's the only place for us. Let's pray. God Almighty, please be merciful to us. 
I'm grateful that we can call upon your name and expect mercy because Jesus didn't receive it. I'm grateful that we can call upon you and know that we can bring our every sin and recognize that it can be forgiven because Jesus was treated like a whore instead of me. Thank you that we won't have to face our own Jezreel or hear the words, your name is no mercy or you are not my people. Oh Lord, I pray that you would help us to recognize this troubling, difficult, demanding love that you have, but yet also recognize that we would be rather be nowhere else. Oh Lord, help us. I pray for us in this room who are not following you. I pray that we would that they, their hearts would be cut, and I pray that they would want to confess their sins and follow you, Jesus. I pray also for those of us that are followers of you, and there are things in our lives that are compromises, and we can talk about them being just little things, but Lord, I pray that as you have drawn our eyes to look through the lens of Hosea, I pray that you would help all of us to see the ways in which we have become spiritual prostitutes by taking some of our affection away from you and putting it other places. It's going to take your spirit to put your finger on the right area in each life. I could never presume to do that. I pray you would do that with us, Lord. I pray you would revive our hearts. Help us not to wallow in that sin, but recognize we have a Savior, the one who is our head. And we can go to him again and again. And may we do just that. So Lord, we pray you would continue to speak through us, to us this message this week. And I pray we would be attentive throughout each week of this series and walk through Hosea. I pray that we would walk away taken this Sunday and every Sunday with the jarring distinctiveness with the spectacle of your peculiar love. In your name we pray. Amen.